Section 12 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 1 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Chartism, Part 3. A whole literature of Chartist newspapers sprang up to advocate the cause. The Northern Star, owned and conducted by Fergus O'Connor, was the most popular and influential of them but every great town had its chartist press meetings were held at which sometimes very violent language was employed it began to be the practice to hold torchlight meetings at night and many men went armed to these and open clamour was made by the wilder of the chartists for an appeal to arms a formidable riot took place in birmingham where the authorities endeavoured to put down a chartist meeting ebenezer elliot and other sensible sympathizers endeavoured to open the eyes of the more extreme chartists to the folly of all schemes for measures of violence but for the time the more violent a speaker was the better chance he had of becoming popular efforts were made at times to bring about a compromise with the middle-class liberals and the anti-corn law leaders but all such attempts proved failures the chartists would not give up their charter many of them would not renounce the hope of seeing it carried by force the government began to prosecute some of the orators and leaders of the charter movement and some of these were convicted imprisoned and treated with great severity henry vincent's imprisonment at newport in wales was the occasion of an attempted rescue which bore a very close resemblance indeed to a scheme of organized and armed rebellion newport had around it a large mining population and the miners were nearly all physical force chartists it was arranged among them to march in three divisions to a certain rendezvous and when they had formed a junction there which was to be two hours after midnight to march into newport attack the jail and effect the release of vincent and other prisoners the attempt was to be under the chief command of mr frost a trader of newport who had been a magistrate but was deprived of the commission of the peace for violent political speeches a man of respectable character and conduct up to that time this was on november fourth eighteen thirty nine there was some misunderstanding and delay as almost invariably happens in such enterprises and the divisions of the little army did not effect their junction in time when they entered newport they found the authorities fully prepared to meet them frost entered the town at the head of one division only another following him at some interval the third was nowhere as far as the object of the enterprise was concerned a conflict took place between the rioters and the soldiery and police and the rioters were dispersed with a loss of some ten killed and fifty wounded in their flight they encountered some of the other divisions coming up to the enterprise all too late nothing was more remarkable than the courage shown by the mayor of newport the magistrates and the little body of soldiers the mayor mr phillips received two gunshot wounds frost was arrested next day along with some of his colleagues they were tried on june sixth eighteen forty the charge against them was one of high treason there did really appear ground enough to suppose that the expedition led by frost was not merely to rescue vincent but to set going the great rebellious movement of which the physical force chartists had long been talking 
the chartists appear at first to have numbered some ten thousand twenty thousand indeed according to other accounts and they were armed with guns pikes swords pickaxes and bludgeons if the delay and misunderstanding had not taken place and they had arrived at their rendezvous at the appointed time the attempt might have led to very calamitous results the jury found frost and his two companions williams and jones guilty of high treason and they were sentenced to death the sentence however was commuted to one of transportation for life even this was afterwards relaxed and when some years had passed away and chartism had ceased to be a disturbing influence frost was allowed to return to england where he found that a new generation had grown up and that he was all but forgotten in the meantime the corn law agitation had been successful the year of revolutions had passed harmlessly over fergus o'connor's day was done but the trial and conviction of frost williams and jones did not put a stop to the chartist agitation on the contrary that agitation seemed rather to wax and strengthen and grow broader because of the attempt at newport and its consequences thomas cooper for example had never attended a chartist meeting nor known anything of chartism beyond what he read in the newspapers until after the conviction of frost and his companions there was no lack of what were called energetic measures on the part of the government the leading chartists all over the country were prosecuted and tried literally by hundreds in most cases they were convicted and sentenced to terms of imprisonment the imprisonment served rather to make the chartist leaders popular and to advertise the movement than to accomplish any purpose the government had at heart they helped to make the government very unpopular the working classes grew more and more bitter against the whigs who they said had professed liberalism only to gain their own ends and were really at heart less liberal than the tories now and then an imprisoned representative of the chartist movement got to the end of his period of sentence and came out of durance he was a hero all over again and his return to public life was the signal for fresh demonstrations of chartism at the general election of eighteen forty one the vast majority of the chartists acting on the advice of some of their more extreme leaders threw all their support into the cause of the tories and so helped the downfall of the melbourne administration wide and almost universal discontent among the working classes in town and country still helped to swell the chartist ranks the weavers and stockingers in some of the manufacturing towns were miserably poor wages were low everywhere in the agricultural districts the complaints against the operation of the new poor law were vehement and passionate and although they were unjust in principle and sustained by monstrous exaggerations of statement they were not the less potent as recruiting agents for chartism there was a profound distrust of the middle class and their leaders the anti-corn law agitation which was then springing up and which one might have thought must find its most strenuous support among the poor artisans of the towns was regarded with deep disgust by some of the chartists and with downright hostility by others a very temperate orator of the chartists put the feeling of himself and his fellows in clear terms we do not object to the repeal of the corn laws he said on the contrary when we get the charter we will repeal the corn laws and all the bad laws but if you give up your agitation for the charter to help the free traders they will never help you to get the charter 
don't be deceived by the middle classes again you helped them to get the reform bill and where are the fine promises they made you don't listen to their humbug any more stick to your charter without your votes you are veritable slaves the chartists believed themselves abandoned by their natural leaders all manner of socialist doctrines began to creep in among them wild and infidel opinions were proclaimed by many thomas cooper tells one little anecdote which he says fairly illustrates the feeling of many of the fiercer spirits among the artisan chartists in some of the towns he and his friends were holding a meeting one day in leicester a poor religious stockinger said let us be patient a little longer surely god almighty will help us soon talk to us no more about your god almighty was the fierce cry that came in reply from one of the audience there isn't one if there was one he wouldn't let us suffer as we do about the same time a poor stockinger rushed into cooper's house and throwing himself wildly in a chair exclaimed i wish they would hang me i have lived on cold potatoes that were given me these two days and this morning i've eaten a raw potato for sheer hunger give me a bit of bread and a cup of coffee or i shall drop thomas cooper's remark about this time is very intelligible and simple it tells a long clear story about chartism how fierce he says my discourses now became in the market-place on sunday evenings my heart often burned with indignation i knew not how to express i began with sheer sympathy to feel a tendency to glide into the depraved thinking of some of the stronger but coarser spirits among the men so the agitation went on we need not follow it through all its incidents it took in some places the form of industrial strikes in others of socialistic assemblages its fanaticism had in many instances a strong flavour of nobleness and virtue some men under the influence of thoughtful leaders pledged themselves to total abstinence from intoxicating drinks in the full belief that the agitation would never succeed until the working classes had proved themselves by their self-control to be worthy of the gift of freedom in other instances as has been already remarked the disappointment and despair of the people took the form of infidelity there were many riots and disturbances none indeed of so seemingly rebellious a nature as that of frost and his companions but many serious enough to spread great alarm and to furnish fresh occasion for government prosecutions and imprisonments some of the prisoners seem to have been really treated with a positively wanton harshness and even cruelty thomas cooper's account of his own sufferings in prison is painful to read it is not easy to understand what good purpose any government could have supposed the prison authorities were serving by the unnecessary degradation and privation of men who whatever their errors were conspicuously and transparently sincere and honest it is clear that at that time the chartists who represented the bulk of the artisan class in most of the large towns did in their very hearts believe that england was ruled for the benefit of aristocrats and millionaires who were absolutely indifferent to the sufferings of the poor it is equally clear that most of what are called the ruling class did really believe the english working men who joined the chartist movement to be a race of fierce unmanageable and selfish communists who if they were allowed their own way for a moment would prove themselves determined to overthrow throne 
altar and all established securities of society an ignorant panic prevailed on both sides england was indeed divided as mr disraeli's novel described it into two nations the rich and the poor in towns at least and each hated and feared the other with all that unthinking hate and fear which hostile nations are capable of showing even amid all the influences of civilization. End of section 12